Hey guys, this is Sean Cannon, and you are listening to the Ben Is Now podcast. The killers are eating the flesh of the people they murdered. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. All persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. Night. The living dead. What kind of a sick school is this? Uh oh, don't go! Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to smell a great pump in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on your deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a hole. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Come on to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We are on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. While Hollywood had produced zombie films prior to 1968, those were more based on the zombie myths of voodoo magic. Released on October 1st, 1968, Night 
of the living dead portrayed zombies as flesh-eating ghouls whose bite spreads the infection creating more of them. It has long been regarded as the first modern zombie film. Produced by the independent company Image 10, which was created by George Romero, John Russo, and Russell Striner on a budget of $114,000, Night of the Living Dead went on to become one of the most profitable films of its time, making $12 million domestically and $18 million internationally, effectively earning more than 250 times its budget. The film's influence has been felt to this day and has inspired not only similar zombie stories in movies, TV, novels, and comic books, but it's also inspired many filmmakers, writers, and actors. On today's show, we have the star of the original Night of the Living Dead, and she is going to share with us her fascinating journey and what she thinks about being a living legend. So sit back and prepare for a fun interview. Class is in session. About this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Woo -woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When we were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go! Play and have fun now! They're coming to get you, Barbara. Okay, folks, you are in for a special treat today. My guest is the star of the classic horror film Night of the Living Dead, which is widely regarded as the first modern zombie movie. Not only was she in that, but she's been in a bunch of other movies, including The Pirate, Claustrophobia, October Moon, Women's Studies, Abandoned Dead, and the upcoming Night of the Living Dead Genesis, in which she reprises her role as Barbara. She was nominated by the Scaricon Film Festival for Best Supporting Actress for her performance in 2020's They Came from the Ether, as well as a nomination as part of the Best Ensemble Cast for Kill Giggles, by the Genre Blast Film Festival and was a Hall of Fame inductee at the Phoenix International Horror and Sci-Fi Film Festival. After having taught presentation development and trained the trainer courses at Hughes Raytheon until 2002, she started O'Day Communications where she offered training and consulting to such clients as Hughes Aircraft Company, Raytheon, Space Labs Medical, and many others for over 25 years. Now her company focuses on her theatrical film career and guest appearances at horror conventions. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show the iconic and legendary Judith O'Day. Hi there, everybody who's listening. I wasn't asleep, I promise. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm just so glad to be able to talk with you today. Good. I'm looking forward to it, Roger. Excellent. If you hear a barking in the background, that's my little dog, Nikki. Okay. <laughs> no problem. I have dogs too, but I try to shut the door so I, they can't. We can't hear them. So, I, Judith, I always start with the question: How did you get onto the path of acting? Oh my gosh! I have wanted all my life to be an actress. When I was a little girl, before school started for me, I used to sit on my great grandmother's porch and sing, pretend it was in my blood way back then. I knew it's where I wanted to go. Excellent. And so where did you start? How old were you? Well, I did uh, an equity show. I auditioned when I was about seven or eight. <laughs> when they, It was a traveling touring company that came through. Gosh, where was I? I must have been in, in Boardman or, or Canton, Ohio at that time. So that was my first appearance professionally on stage, if, if you, I wasn't a member of equity, but it was still a professional company. Then uh, it really all began for me at 15 years of age. We had moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was very much into singing. And I wanted desperately to go on the stage and be a singer. I had an audition for a show called Leave It to Jane at Pittsburgh Playhouse. When I was 15, I asked my folks, is it all right if I give that a try? Very fortunately, I got the rule. It was in the chorus, and that began a rather continuous career. 
on stage and eventually screening back to stage again. All these years. Excellent, excellent. And did you end up going out to Hollywood? I did. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went out to Hollywood prior to the making of Night of the Living Dead. I wanted, again, not only did I love my film career, but I wanted to go into film as well because I found the medium fascinating. I went out, lived there for time. Almost a year, I received a call from Carl Hardman. If that name is familiar, Carl played Harry Cooper in Neither Living Dead. He had a uh, recording studio back in Pittsburgh. I had made many, many wonderful commercials with Carl over the years prior to my going out to Hollywood when I got started in theater professionally when I was 15. He remembered. He said to me, George Merrill, West Liner, Jack Russo and myself are going to make a film here in Pittsburgh. You want to come back and audition for it? I thought, by gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I left Hollywood <laughs> and went back home, auditioned, and you know the rest. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. And I promise I'm not going to try to ask too many questions of the movie that you've probably been asked a zillion times. Uh, do you ever get tired sometimes of having to ask answer questions about Night of the Living Dead? Roger, I really don't. And the, the reason being is over the years, I have had some of the most fascinating conversations with fans of the film. Those conversations have really enlightened me about my very own film. I, I've i loved it. So I don't think I'm ever tired of anybody asking me any kinds of questions. That's excellent. That's excellent. Were you a fan of horror movies at the time you got the part? Actually, it was not my genre of choice, if I can be <laughs> so delicate. <laughs> and the reason being, I was scared out of my wits when <laughs> I was only about seven, seven or eight when Vincent Price was starring in House of Wax, oh, yeah. the 3D version, this is back in the early 60s, my parents had no idea what the film was about. They took me to it. I was so frightened by that film that I literally dragged them out of the theater. Wow. Had nightmares for years. In fact, I can still see that Vincent Price face when a woman pounds on the wax face he has covering the burns. Right. When that broke off, I can still see it as clear as day. That's amazing. That scared me. Yeah. <laughs> now, so actually, the genres I sort of enjoyed were, were things like uh, Watering Heights, Portrait of Johnny, The Ghost, and Mrs. Muir. Yes. I, I loved the old black and white. Oh, same here. I love them, too. So how did you react then when you first read the script by, you know, not really particularly caring for the horror genre? Were you surprised at how shocking it was? And did you have any reservations about doing it? I never did get to read the whole script, Roger. (laughs) I had no idea where the story was going to go. I did know it was a horror film. I did know it had to do with Walking Dead. But other than that, I was so excited to to be accepted, uh, given a lead in a feature film, that that it was a horror film, I was thrilled. Had it been Wuthering Heights, I would have been thrilled, too. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I did not get to read it. Every day we shot was uh, an awakening for me. We talk about various scenes, where we were going to go with them, physically what we were to do. Lord would tell us, this is what I'd like to accomplish emotionally in the scene. And then he would give us the freedom to do it. It was an exciting shoot. That's excellent. And so it was a real house, right? It wasn't a set. It was somebody's house where you guys were nailing the boards to the wall? No, it was a real house, absolutely. In fact, if I recall correctly, they were given that house with a permission to do anything they wanted because the house was going to be destroyed eventually. Oh, okay. It had, by the way, the most perfect atmosphere for the film. It was cold and dank. 
even in the summertime, um, of course, when we really got shooting in the in the midst of the heat, it, it warmed up considerably. But it was amazing the kind of atmosphere that house had that contributed to the film. Oh yeah, it definitely it definitely adds to the atmosphere of the film. And did you did they shoot it relatively in order? Like how long was the shoot overall too? And and was it shot in order? The length of the shoot really was about four weeks, but those four weeks were broken up into two and two. We did the first two weeks, and we did not do in order, by the way. When we completed the the first two weeks, we had run out of money. Everybody had to go back. <laughs> wow. And uh, Russ, Jack, Carl, Carl went back to the, the audio studio to do more commercials. And George, of course, was doing industrial films for corporations in Pittsburgh. He needed to do that to make film, well, make money to add to our empty budget there, well, not an empty coffers. I, too, was an investor, so it gave me an opportunity to try to save up a little more money to invest in the film. Wow. Then we came, we came back. That took, oh, gosh, that took... Several weeks to, I wish I could tell you exactly if it was um, one month or how long. I'm not sure. But we did come back and do the remainder of all the principal shooting in two weeks, then send it over for George to edit. That's amazing. And so, so, yeah, so was that difficult in terms of uh, shooting out of order when you were mentioning how uh, you and, and George were talking about the emotional impact of certain scenes? Did did that was that difficult, or were you able to to just sort of wrap your brain around you know each scene as they came? I think you nailed it. The very last statement: you just took each scene as a little entirety of its own. George would tell us what he wanted to accomplish. I really wasn't sure how it was going to fit into the film because I'd never read it. And George, of course, I think was doing the very same thing. Hmm. He. He knew a, a heck of a lot more where he wanted to go with the working script that he had, but I didn't have that script. Right. Each scene then became its own little little movie, and you tried to accomplish exactly what George wanted. Right. You know, I managed to rewatch it recently um, in preparation for this, and it's one of those movies that I, I've watched often, maybe a couple times a year, because I just really love it. And the more I view it, the more your performance stands out to me as being exceptional. And, you know, what did you draw from to play the character of Barbara? I gave you a hint of that when I told you about being scared to death over <laughs> <laughs> I I have always had a very vivid imagination Pretend, the world of pretend, right. in all honesty, Roger, has been a much more comfortable world for me to live in yep. than the real life world. I can pretend uh, a heck of a lot more easily than, than I can be myself. <laughs> so <laughs> that wasn't terribly difficult for me. The, the fear really came from, from uh, for example, Bill Heinzman, when he was beating in the window of the car door as I was trying to escape. That in itself was such a frightening thing to me that the reactions you see are, are genuine, at least I, I felt they were for me, because Bill was so... He never stopped. He became that that walking dead that wouldn't stop until he got you. Wow. That did it uh, a deal on my brain. Another scene that just was a terrifying scene for me to do was when Russ, as my brother Johnny, comes back. You see that gloved hand of his in the doorway. He eventually reaches out, grabs me, and pulls me out amongst all those, those ghouls. They were just pawing at my body when we were shooting that. And it, it was terrifying. Wow, yeah, I was going to ask you about that scene. Yeah, for me, slipping into that kind of horror, I didn't need to think of Vincent Price anymore. It was just <laughs> the horror of the the scene itself. Right. And so were you around when they did the um, 
like the outdoor shots where uh, what was it? The two characters um, ended up getting blown up, and the zombies were eating them. Did you have any idea that was going on? I I knew that was going to go on, but I didn't get to see the explosion. We shot, if you know the expression, day for night, yes. night for night, yeah. day for day. Well, it was one of those nights that I was off, so I didn't get to see the explosion of the truck. Oh, that's too bad. But they, they couldn't do it many times, you know, and only had that one truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> one chance to get it right. Yeah. So, Night of the Living Dead, it was released a month before the MPAA implemented the rating system, and I read that it it had been shown as a matinee, and a lot of kids saw it, and a lot of kids were traumatized by it, and I guess it caused some kind of outrage in the public. You know, how did you react to the initial response that the film was getting? I don't think I was aware that there was such a negativity to it at that time. I learned about that a lot later, and we're talking years later. Oh, wow. I, In fact, I remember reading an article that originally was written in the, it came out in one of the Chicago papers. It was then put into the Reader's Digest. It talked about the movie and just what you said, the reaction of the kids and how initially they were laughing and happy at the beginning, growing popcorn. Then as the film progressed, they became more than frightened and ended up literally hiding under their chairs. <laughs> I, I didn't read about that, but I did hear my parents told me that they received calls from friends of ours who said, how could you let your daughter be in such a play or in such a movie? <laughs> I think mom and dad was so excited for me as well, being in the future, that they didn't even stop to think that it would be that kind of reaction. That's hilarious. Uh, so what was George Romero like? Oh, he was wonderful. George is, was, I wish he was still in years. George was so creative in so many different ways. He was a wonderful artist, literally. He could draw beautifully. Then, of course, he was a wonderful writer. Then, of course, he could picture things via the lens of a camera in a way that made, it, made the scenes far more unique than maybe they could have been if someone else had done them. He was, I thought, just immensely talented, easygoing. Later on, when we began attending conventions, and off and on, I'd be teamed up with George and Russ, Jack, the rest of the group. George would sit at that table for hours and hours at a time because he had a string of people lined up wanting to talk with him. Yeah. He would talk about the film, anything anybody wanted to know. He'd share stories about it. He was just dearly loved by his fans and dearly loved by those of us who worked with him. That's great. That's great. And by all accounts, everything I've read, uh, uh, not only Dwayne Jones, but the rest of the cast were, were very much beloved and very, very well spoken about. Oh, gosh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> and Dwayne, I think that on Dwayne Rowe, just a, a very intellectual fellow. If he was not on set performing, he was reading a book. Very intellectual, serious. In fact, I, I, I don't think Night of the Living Dead was a film that he, he really, because he didn't, he, well, he didn't want that to be his final legacy. Unfortunately, he died way, way, way too soon. Yeah. I think it was around 1985. Yeah. From some kind of heart anomaly. But he, he was fun to work with because he was as intense as I tend to get. He and I enjoyed, I think, working together. Carl, Carl is hysterical. <laughs> he, he and Dwayne Jones got along so well, they were bosom buddies. But Carl, one of the funniest guys I knew, and I, of course, he was on Codicon Company back at KDKA radio in those early, early days in the late 50s and 60s. He had a million voices and just a love. When you see him in the picture, you think, oh, he's that very cool. Yeah. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> and he was the nicest guy you could ever. That's great. 
That's amazing. Oh, wait, I have to tell you about Kyra. You knew that Kyra was Carl Hardman's daughter, correct? Yes. Yes. Well, (laughs) she and I, to this day, are good, good, good friends. I can hardly wait to see her in October. We're going to be visiting the Killer Convention in New Jersey. Oh, nice. You know, Kyra, very talented artist. She taught art in uh, schools, middle school, I believe, for years and years before retiring. But again, a wonderful sense of humor. There was a scene in the movie, as you'll recall, when we rolled up the supposed dead body that was at the top of the stairs. Yeah. The skull I saw and the attitude. We rolled up that body, and that, that scene shows the, the roll of carpet with a body in it being pulled away. Right. Well, we needed to, to fill that carpet. You couldn't just roll up the carpet. So guess guess who was the body in the carpet? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was Kyra. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think she'll ever leave that down. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And so, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, all the newspaper ads uh, that I've seen, and I have a, actually I have a funny story about some of the ads that I found, but you were top billed on pretty much all of them. And how did that feel to you? You know, we, you were sort of propelled into this kind of fame. Were you prepared for it? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really know, in all honesty, Roger, that the film was growing in popularity as quickly. I moved back out west to Hollywood uh, area, actually Santa Monica and then Orange County. So I was sort of out of sight, out of mind. I didn't realize that the film was growing not only nationally, but growing in popularity. Um, popularity internationally as well, that I had top billing, even to this day. In fact, I'm I'm sitting here in, in my office. I have a beautiful, original theatrical poster that was sent to me by a fan. It's one of my cherished possessions. I, I see my name there as, as top billing. It's, if I can use the word thrilling, it's a thrilling today to me to see that and to know that I have been a part of a film that none of us ever dreamed would receive such accolades. I'm a very fortunate woman, Roger. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And it's just funny because the film has just influenced so many things and so many people, you know. We broke a lot of barriers. Oh, yeah. Back then, um, with the eating of the intestines, etc., and, and the, <laughs> the little child eating, killing his mother, her mother, and right. chomping on Carl's elbow. And these things were never done. Also, The Night of the Living Dead was one of the first films that were one of the GoFundMe films. The initial investment for that was what brought the name Image 10. Right. There were 10 of us investors in that film. It wasn't a studio operation. People who believed in George, Jack, Russ, a lot of us, were willing to contribute. So we were one of the first GoFundMe films outside of, of Hollywood. That's amazing. The fact, too, that it has garnered over, what, 30, 40, 50 million internationally, but we didn't receive even an, an idol of that money. Oh. You know you know the story about our losing the copyright. I do. Why, why don't you share it with, the, with our listeners? We had made the film. Initially, the, we were going to call it Night of the Flesh Eaters. That was the title on the film. George had taken it to New York. It was... I think it, it, the first prints were released, but we immediately had to pull those prints back because another production company that had done a film with the name Flesh Eater in it said, you cannot use that. That is ours. Therefore, we had to change the name of the film. It was changed, Night of the Living Dead. The prints were remade with a new title, and reissued to the theaters. 
the one thing that the print house forgot to put on was the copyright notice at the end of the film. Consequently, as soon as that film, under the title Night of the Living Dead, hit the theaters, it became public domain. Wow. It remained in public domain for almost 50 years. In fact, it wasn't until 20, shortly before George passed away, that the film was remastered by the Museum of Modern Art in New York, also Martin Scorsese, I believe, and the George Lucas Foundation put money in to that restoration. It was so beautifully done back then that the federal government gave that issue its own copyright. For the first time in almost 50 years, Night of the Living Dead had a copyright. And believe it or not, Roger, it's been making money ever since. That's great. People who want to use that, uh, they could go back and use the old ones that didn't have a copyright on it. But when, if they want a real pristine, good-looking, classic film, they they use the newest one right. that received the copyright. Right. That's an amazing story. It, it really is. You think what goes around comes around. And we put such effort into that film. We gave it our all. We hoped for the best. It was extremely successful, even though we didn't make money for all those years. But to see that little by little, money is beginning to come in to those of us who are still alive is amazing to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And I wanted to bring up to you, I, when I was doing my research, I found some you know, newspaper ads for it. And as I mentioned, you know, of course, you're a top build. And then there was one, actually there were several, where it's you and Russell Striner, our co-build, which I thought was interesting because his character doesn't really survive, you know, the first 20 minutes of the film, or beyond the first 20 minutes, I should say. And then there was another one, this one was from the Charleston Daily Mail from 68, and um, it's you're listed, then Russell, and then Dwayne Jones is listed third. And it was just, it was interesting because it's like, well, he's like the second most important character in the movie. (laughs) So whoever was making I've those, I've never seen. I have never seen those. I'll, I'll send them to you. Uh, I, I, all the time, I yeah, send me a picture of them or something. Because yeah. in all the time I've signed various uh, theatrical things, I've never seen that. And certainly, I I think Dwayne Jones should have received that top billing because he was with us until the very last few seconds of the film. Right. It's just it's interesting how those things go. Obviously, the people making the the ads weren't necessarily, you know, closely working with you guys making the film. Mm. No, I guess not. But remember, Russ was a, a an executive producer on that film as well. So that might have that might have skewed the credits a little bit. Although yeah. I'm, I'm certainly not not sure. <laughs> It's it's possible. I found another quick one I'll share with you. And um, the Arlington Heights, uh, the Daily Herald from Chicago, they had an interesting article. And this was from 1998, so it was 30 years later. And it said, um, uh, Living Dead, what better way to usher in Easter than with Night of the Living Dead? George Romero's classic 1968 horror movie about zombies roaming the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Dwayne Jones and Judith O'Day star as an unlikely interracial couple thrown together with an extended family of quote-unquote normal people trying to fend off the undead. And I was like, did this guy even watch the movie? (laughs) Wow. Oh, I I sort of like that. (laughs) Because Dwayne and I did. We teamed up there at the beginning. the, The deeper into my mind I got, I didn't end up being much of a help to him. But we did team up there at the beginning, and I did put my trust in him to uh, bring us out of there alive. Yeah. Son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast.
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Um, I just wanted to share with you, too, recently my wife and I went to Pennsylvania to attend the, um, it was this uh, event called the April Ghouls Drive-In Monsterama at the Riverside Drive-In in Vandegrift. And so oh. while we were out there, I had to go. I, I didn't really drag my wife. She willingly. But we went to the Evans City Cemetery, got some shots. I did a couple of live videos there. It was just so much fun. And it was so it was so cool to just be there. And we literally watched the movie the night before so I could show her where we were going to be. And, you know, I think you've been back there for celebrations and stuff, too, right? I have. In fact, what did you think of the uh, the chapel? The restored there chapel. Was a, it was beautiful. The restored. Wasn't it? It's just lovely. All that effort came from Gary Striner. That's Russ's brother. God bless Gary for doing that. Otherwise, it would have fallen into total disrepair and probably destroyed. Right. But I do remember one instance. The first time I came back to that cemetery for a celebration, I had the oddest feeling. Odd isn't really quite the word. A surreal feeling hmm. when I went up to the, the gravestone, when I, I walked the places that I had run in the movie, I felt that if I could just push the ether, push the, the atmosphere in that cemetery a little bit harder, then I could somehow pop right back to where we were. Yeah. That was the energy that that, that wonderful cemetery carries. I think it carries to this day. Oh, I think so, too. And there's a nice memorial in the center of town about the film, and there's like, the I, I assume you've seen it, the plaque, and then there's several plaques around it. One talks about George's movie, The Crazies, and then the rest are all about Night, Night of the Living Dead. And it's just, it's just so amazing that this town has really embraced the fame from the movie and, and cherished it, and I think that adds to the atmosphere. We are truly blessed so many people have uh, supported us all these years. Those in Evans City, I, I, I seem so proud that we're part of their history. And we feel the same way. Very, very fortunate we all are. Very nice, very nice. Now, in regards to the movie, I have one last question, and then I have other questions for the rest of your career. You've been referred to as a horror icon over the years. You know, you're basically a living legend. How does a title like that sit with you? 
I, I, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I just know I'm a, a regular kind of gal who goes to bed at nine, gets up in the morning, thank God. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's, it's an honor. Maybe that's the best way. I never dreamed that this film would be my legacy in so many ways. You know, I thought I was going to be in a, a musical star um, or in big Hollywood films. This small film is truly my legacy and has made my, has turned me into an icon. And it's, it's an honor, an unbelievable honor. And believe me, any time I go to a convention, I make it clear to those who come up and thank me how grateful I am that they have loved our film for so long. It's that marriage of audiences and performance right. that make the magic. And that that certainly has made magic without a film. Oh, without a doubt, absolutely. Um, so after that, you were in the TV movie The Pirate in 1978, which that had an amazing cast. I mean, you had Franco Nero, Ann Archer, Olivia Hussey, Ian McShane, Christopher Lee, James Franciscus, you know, Stuart Whitman and Eli Wallach. What do you remember about that? Oh, I loved it. I remember the, the first day I went to Warner Brothers, and uh, before the shoot, I saw all the the bagels and donuts and all the good things you could eat there at the craft table. And oh my God, I ever. But we did a lot of the shoot in Lancaster on location where they had a, a fallen airplane, wrecked airplane. I, I loved it. And again, my imagination just sort of serves me well. I, I just love to slip into what I'm supposed to be. And hopefully, I'm, I do it. I want to do it well. Every every shot I can remember the scene with Ann Archer when we had the kids. Um, it it was a wonderful experience to work on a studio film. I loved it. Nice. What was what was Hollywood like? I'm sorry. What was it like being in Hollywood at that time? It was hard. I didn't realize that it was hard. Looking back, I can see now how. All of the stories you hear about Hollywood and what the producers want the women to go through, etc. Those were tough times back then. Right. I can remember. I can remember going to an audition for an agent. I wanted to, this agent was recommended to me. I was able to go in and meet him. You know what he did? He, he looked at me up and down. He said, turn around. So I turned around, young and naive as I was, and he just sort of had a smirk on his face, and he said, no, you're a low slum. Now, I'll leave that to your imagination. Whatever he meant by that, I'll let you figure that out. Right. But I, I didn't get that agent, but I can remember going to an audition at Universal Studios, and there was that audition or that agent waiting to go in to the very same audition with uh, one of his people, and I was called in first. I cannot tell you how pleased I was <laughs> that that happened. Uh, Hollywood was a rough, rough place. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved California. Yeah. I had to be there. And so then you kind of took a break from acting, but did you not? Did you take a break 100% or did you do theater as opposed to oh, film and TV? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to have interrupted you, Raj. No, go ahead. But that always gets to me when someone asks that. I have never stopped performing. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah, I worked in equity shows in between gigs working for a variety of, of film writers and producers, Harold Hecht and Mel Frank. I worked at, um, as their ass assistants in their, their homes. Then I'd go do a show. I, I worked community theater. When I began working, you mentioned having to pay the mortgage and getting a job with corporate America, Hughes Aircraft Company. I used my theatrical skills during the day to help people be more comfortable standing up in front of an audience to communicate their important message. 
So that was still a part of my performance. And yet, at night, I'd go home, see the kids, and go off and do a show at a theater. Nice. Then, young independent film producer, because of the internet, got in touch saying, I've got a script, there's a part in it, would you be willing to read it? Little by little, I got back into those the horror genre by being invited to, to do a role by independent film producers. It's been, it's been a great run. It's been a great run uh, as an instructor for presentation, helping people, and yet my primary love has always been either on the stage or in front of the camera. That's amazing. And so was Claustrophobia the first one when you did that? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, originally called Serial Slayer, right. I think. And I got knocked off by one of those power bows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember clawing my way along the grass. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that was the first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I when when I was doing my research, I I discovered that the director Mark Tapio Kynes was he wasn't yes. not only born the same year as me, but he grew up a few towns north of where I grew up. <laughs> oh my god! And he is still working. Oh yeah. Doing his thing, I I just admire the the drive and the love of these young filmmakers. It's wonderful. Yeah. And on that film, you worked with Mary Lynn Radscub, who played uh, Chloe on 24. What was she like? I, I couldn't begin to tell you, because I think uh, they just shot my my uh, okay. scenes, and I did not interact with okay. anyone. Interesting. And can you tell us how October Moon came about? Oh, Jason Paul Collins, the fellow who did not only October Moon, but November Sun and Satan Sky, the trilogy. Yes originally wrote a book about Scream Queens, Assault of the Killer Bees was the name of that. Okay. He interviewed a lot of the, quote, Scream Queens, Frank Stevens, and so many others with whom you're familiar, as well as myself. Eventually, he, uh, oh gosh, in fact, I'm trying to see if I, something to scream about. He then made um, a video about that. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. And um, that came out and seemed to be very, very popular with people who love the the B-type movies that, right. that we made. So I initially had gotten, um, was introduced to Jason that way. And from there, he created October Moon and said, would I would I be willing to play Emily? I love, I love playing Emily. In fact, I talked to Jason just a short while ago, and I said, let's, let's bring her back. She'll be old as sin, but you can come up with a great <laughs> And that was pretty groundbreaking for its time, right? Oh, indeed. About uh, a, gay, a young gay man and his infatuation, what happens. Oh, very much so. Right. It's... Uh, over the years, also, Jason will send me clips, emails, and things that gay people have sent to him saying, thank you, thank you so much for making these films, because it gave us something to to watch. We were a part of it, even though it got pretty grisly there at times, but it was groundbreaking. Uh, I'm so proud of him for doing that. That's great. That's amazing. And you also, were you in the sequel? October Moon too. Uh, I I was, okay. and we called it um, rather than October Moon Two. They named it November Sun. Okay. And then a few years after that, we did Face Inside, which really was not. You know, we had lost Elliot, even though Emily was still alive. It was not connected to October and November. It was a standalone film done by Jason. Right, right. And how how is he to work with as a director? Oh, he's wonderful. He's not one of those lording over you, I know precisely what I want and you have to do it. Again, Jason is just a dear man. He's a dear man who loves what he does. He's a kindergarten teacher as well. And oh, wow. he's so good with his children. 
So this this man is a, a multitude of talents: the writing, the the filming. Um, a very very interesting, talented man with whom I thoroughly enjoyed working. Very nice, very nice. And you also worked on women's studies. You were um, the, uh, the main character in that movie as well, um, with Lonnie Martin. And h- how was that yes. experience? Oh, oh, <laughs> that was a kick. I, I really loved doing that. I, I wish it could have gotten more theatrical time. And I don't know a lot of the feedback from people who had seen that film, but I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. I'm uh, oh, golly, every, every film or every show you do always has some wonderful uniqueness about it. Uh, women's studies certainly did outspoken about uh, women's positions and their strengths as well as their weaknesses. Right. It was it was quite interesting to do. Very nice, very nice. And one I I, I definitely had to ask you about was uh, which which I liked. I, I re- actually I loved. I really enjoyed it. Was they came from the ether? Was that looked like you were just having so much fun in that movie. I did. I'm so glad you liked that one. <laughs> In fact, that's the one I, I won a Best Supporting Actress for, which right. just bowled me over. Uh, Miss Clara was the role I played. I thoroughly enjoyed doing that cameo part. It was just perfect for me. I loved it. That's great. And did you sort of have to get into the mindset of a 50 st- 50s style film when you were doing it? Well, remember, I grew up in the 50s. <laughs> I, so it, it came real naturally to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you gave me one of those old hats and a pair of white gloves, and I was right there, right back. That's great. That's so cool. And you, I, like I mentioned in the intro, too, you, you were part of the cast that got nominated for Best Ensemble Cast for Kill Giggles. Because, um, you know, you worked with Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp and Vernon Wells, who was the villain in Mad Max 2. Uh, what can you tell us about that movie? Well, Kill Giggles has yet to be released because oh, okay. of COVID. We were right on the verge. But then, again, something magic happened because the distributor was not ready to distribute because of COVID. They went back and... Uh, there was an opportunity for a very special distributor to take over, and this was a Hollywood distributor. In fact, I don't know if I, I'm even committed to say so, so maybe I best keep my mouth shut. But <laughs> I will say that Kill Giggles will be coming out, fingers crossed, this year. It will be released by one of the very top distribution companies in Hollywood. Very it begins nice. with an L. Excellent. <laughs> That's amazing. Don't say anything more. No. Don't say anything. <laughs> so what can you tell us about, uh, you've got, a, at least on IMDb, you've got two or three other upcoming ones. I don't want to give too much away either. What can you tell us? About the upcoming? Yeah, your, your upcoming projects. Oh, oh, well, right now there are. Kill uh, Giggles was the last role I filmed. And uh, I'm just waiting for that to come out. I have nothing on the books at the moment. The oh. only very important thing I have to do is get back underwater in my scuba gear and do some swimming with the fish. Very nice. I love theater, I love film, and I love to scuba dive. That's great. Do you sort of feel like a, a kind of peace when you're under the water there? Oh, it's it's truly my, my church. It's my spiritual fulfillment. When you're at zero gravity, you're watching a manta ray go by you with a wind spread of over 20 feet, and you can touch it under them. It's truly spiritual, wonderful. That's great. That's great. And what can you tell us about your company? I know, like I said in the intro, too, it kind of went through some changes, and you, you did talk about it a little bit. Can you elaborate a little bit more on O'Day Communications? O'Day Communications, yes. It started back in the early well, I guess it was around 2000 because I retired from corporate work and continued my own company that I had started a little earlier. I focused on oral presentation training and training trainer. That was the major focus until I retired from corporate America. I decided 
I'd rather turn my my little business back to its home, and that was theater and film. Therefore, the uh, you know the mission changed. Well, the mission has never really changed. But O'Day Communications now focuses primarily on what I have done in the entertainment business. I also added something to my website a while back. It's a story that I wrote. Oh, yes. It's called The Old Lady and the Alien. That was a really important story for me to write. I put it on my website, and I I guess deep, deep down, Roger, there's the hope that somebody in the industry would look at that and say, you know what, that's, that's an interesting little piece. Maybe we could make that into a film. Hmm. It's so much easier to make film today with independent film producers right. that I think that would be a, a wonderful last hurrah for me. I would love to see that story made into a film. That would be amazing. And I, I did see that on your website. Is there a memoir in the works? Because if there's not, you really, I think you really should write one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think I'm forgetting more than I remember now. <laughs> I, I think there are so many others with far, far more interesting lives. Although what we talk about today makes me makes me realize I've I've had a really fun, interesting life. I met wonderful people doing the things I've done. It's been a variety, yep. but I don't think there's going to be a memoir, Roger. Not for me. <laughs> oh, well, if there is, I'll be the first one to purchase one. Uh, is, there a, okay. <laughs> is there a dream role that, that you've always wanted to play? <laughs> uh, it would be wonderful to, to have a, a lovely role outside of the horror, psychological killer genre. Right. <laughs> I, I would love something like a, a, a Lara, but an old Lara. Or the ghost of Mrs. Muir and an old Jean Tierney. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That would be great. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And where can the listeners find you online? At www.odaycommunications.com. And Excellent. O'Day is just O-D-E-A, communication.com. Excellent. Excellent. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And I, I will send you also those newspaper articles uh, or the ads that I found. And uh, Judith, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And, you know, maybe you'll come back when you've got another movie coming out that you want to promote. Uh, Roger, I would love to do that. I hope I didn't talk your ear off. I apologize for oh, that. Oh, not at all. No, exactly. We had this amazing fun. Thank you. You bet. You take good, good care. You too. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to our interview with the wonderful Judith O'Day. Please check out her website, odaycommunications.com. Remember, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. And don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. The Miss Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
murderers are eating the flesh of the people they murder. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. All persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.